It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. Magic is returning to Las Vegas, and my guest proves the point. Illusionist Bill Blagg will be performing The Magic of Bill Blagg live at the South Point Casino Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, July 30th through August 1st at 7.30. For ticket information, go to southpointcasino.com. And for everything about Bill Blagg, go to billblagg.com, and you can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Bill Blagg Magic. And Bill, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing well. Here's the question. As opposed to performing in one city on an ongoing basis, which many magicians do, you're on tour all the time, performing all over the country. Does touring keep you energized? Touring definitely keeps you energized. It it energizes you and wears you out at the same time. Just from the uh, sheer amount of travel and setting up the show, taking it down and performing it. But there's definitely a there's an energy and a boost that comes from it being in a new town and a new theater and seeing new people on a consistent basis. When you are on tour and you obviously have help because you can't, you're, you're in a major illusionist as opposed to doing coins. So you have, there's a lot of stuff connected to your show. You have help with it. So you're not lugging all this stuff by yourself, but you still have to, if the word is oversee it, you have to at least know that everything's in place and make sure that that's the case. Is that exhausting or is that just part of the routine? You know, it's part of the routine. I'm, I'm, I'm very hands-on and work along with my team. So it, it's, I'm not the type of performer that the show's at seven o'clock and I show up to the theater at six and, Hey guys, how's everything going? Let's do a show. Like I'm right there in the mix with the team throughout the entire day from load in till the last case is put on the truck and we're loading out. I guess it, it, it's my way of getting my workout in for the day and burning those calories. Yeah, I imagine so. Do you get a chance to, while you're touring, do you get a chance to see any of the towns and cities that you go through? Not as much as people probably think. Fortunately, if, if, we, do, if we do have an opportunity where we have a day in between, uh, we'll, we'll extend in the city that we're at and just take that moment in. A few years back, we actually we were in Cleveland, Ohio at Playhouse Square, and we were there for four nights, which was real unique for what we typically do. And that really gave us an opportunity to be able to go see the town and go tour the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, and do a bunch of that cool stuff. So we, we try to do it as much as possible. Unfortunately, it just usually doesn't happen. And last question about touring, and then I want to get into your background. And this is your, going to be your first time in Las Vegas, which is exciting for you, I'm sure. But one last question about touring. Do you do what some comedians do as you go from town to town? Do you incorporate either the name or some news about the town in your presentation? Yeah, I mean, the it's always good to be able to punch into the local fabric, so to speak, and be able to have that conversation and, and something that's in common or be able to share something that, that's special with them. And I think that that, that connection is important as long as it's genuine and authentic as opposed to just trying to be like, you know, if you're in Wisconsin, like, hey, let's talk about cheese curds. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think those things are important. And we do make an effort to do that without without trying to, you know, without it being a forced type of thing of being like, okay, hey, we can try to connect in, in this manner. Right. You don't want to be, you don't want to be, you don't want to be patronizing. 
No, right. no, not now, that at makes all. sense. You started early in magic, although you started your career in 1996. Let's face it, you were a kid when you got interested in magic. I was. I was. I was six years old when I when I got my first exposure to magic, and that was receiving a magic set from my grandparents for Christmas. Do you remember and the brand I, of the magic set? I do. It was. It was. It was called the Greater Magicians Magic Set. Nowadays, I know it was manufactured by a company called Fun Incorporated who are still based out of the Chicagoland area. And my grandparents actually purchased it from Magic Incorporated, which was a famous magician and ventriloquist back in the day, Jay Marshall, and his wife, Frances Marshall. It was their magic shop in Chicago, which would actually become the first magic shop I would ever go to. There's something about magic shops, and I've discussed this with other magicians, meaning besides you, not besides me, because I am the world's worst magician, and I only know the French drop, and I do it badly. But at any rate, there's something magical about going into a magic store or a magic shop when you're a kid and looking around and seeing all these marvelous illusions. And then, of course, when the store personnel would demonstrate the, some of these illusions to you, you were sold for the rest of your life. Absolutely. It's bringing back memories as you're talking about that. So I remember watch, walking into Magic Incorporated, and as you mentioned, you see the, the showcases and the bookcases full of all these incredible looking props and very unique apparatus. And as a kid, you're like, well, what's that? And what is this? And I wonder what this thing does. And then the fact that the store is staffed with professional magicians. So it, it's almost like having your own on-demand magic performance at the tip of your fingers. You flip the catalog and go, okay, what, what about this? And then they do it right there for you. It, it's, it's an experience like no other, that's for sure. One last thing, just because I normally don't share it with my guests, but when I used to go into the magic store when I was a kid, and I would buy the plastic version of an illusion, and it would be a couple of bucks. When I became an adult, I then had the money, and I went back and got the same illusion, but this time I got it in brass or metal or whatever the, <laughs> whatever the professional material was, and I felt like I, I, had finally, I had finally arrived. And, of course, I didn't because I'm not a magician. When all the magic turns brass, you know you've made it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's great. I like that slogan. I may use that. <laughs> right. Well, why is your close-up case so heavy? Because it's all brass. Exactly. I've arrived. I've arrived. <laughs> I, yeah, I've arrived. I'm so good now because I have brass versus the plastic. And so, right. yeah. <laughs> right. that's, that's great. Well, tell us a little bit about Mr. Blair in the fifth grade. Mr. Blair, my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Blair. I, I sit back and look nowadays, and I was just having this conversation with my mom a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, when would this ever happen again? When would it ever happen that a, a student would have a teacher who's an amateur magician and share his interest with the teacher about also being involved in, in learning magic, and the teacher allowed the student to say, hey, you get your work classwork done early, you can go in the conference room and work on your magic tricks and support that and, and feed that desire. And we actually teamed up for the for the talent show in well, I was in sixth grade then, but we teamed up and did a routine for the for the sixth grade talent show. And it was just really unique to have a teacher who had an interest in magic and and was able to really breathe life into the interest that I had and continue to support that at such a young age because you're so impressionable. And 
and having that, I mean, I, it, it's pivotal. I would, I would say that if I didn't have that type of support, just being able to go to school and be like, Mr. Blair, check this out. I don't, I don't know where things would be at today. Did you stay in touch with Mr. Blair over the years? Oh yeah. We, we still, we're still in touch. Well, so see, you, you shouted it. You gave, we gave a shout out to him. So hopefully he hears our interview with you and we'll enjoy I, it. I hope so. He actually are one of our second to last shows before our tour got shut down in 2020. He was there and, and he came out and saw the show and complimented me on how, how things have grown. And we reminisced a bunch and it was really cool to have him there. Actually, I'll, I'll put a picture of him up on my uh, Instagram and Facebook later. Yeah, that'd be great. Now, just starting your career in 1996 was one thing, but then it was 1998, I believe, when you became the youngest contestant to win a contest at, of course, the Abbott Magic Get-Together in Colon, Michigan. Colon, Michigan, the magic capital <laughs> of the world. Wait, I thought it was Las Vegas, which you're coming to yeah. on July 31st yeah. to August 1st, but no, at the yeah, South Point. A lot of people no. think it is. It's surprising. <laughs> a lot of people think Las Vegas is the magic capital, but it's actually Colon, Michigan. Why? And for the people that wonder why, Abbott's Magic at one time was the largest magic manufacturer in the world. So they would design and develop a bunch of different magic from your small plastic magic to your brass magic, (laughs) all the way to your grand scale illusions that illusionists of the time, such as Harry Blackstone Sr. and and the performers that would troop around the vaudeville era, those those pieces. And the Blackstone family actually called Colin Michigan home. And... Percy Abbott was the one who started the company and they're still in business today. And they've had an annual magic get together of magicians for, I believe this one coming up is almost 85th. I could be wrong. I'd have to, I'd have to fact check, but it's been around for a very long time. And this one small town just blows up for a period of four days with magicians all over the streets, performing magic and evening shows and lectures and all that cool stuff. So I was fortunate to, Attend in 1998. I was going to go in 97 and enter the contest, but I would have had to enter the youth competition. So I waited one more year until I was 18 so I could enter the adult competition. And it was just after my 18th birthday. So I was the youngest contestant to enter. And actually, I ended up winning. <laughs> so you're also the youngest contestant to win. I'm the youngest contestant to win. And enter. So there you go. You had two, two uh, honors right there. What was that like at that time, being 18, and when we think back to when all of us were 18, to get that kind of recognition, did it throw you off a little bit, or was it a very positive reinforcement in terms of your career? Yeah, I would say it was a positive reinforcement. I was surprised. I was surprised that I won, and maybe call it self-confidence at the time, but I, I was watching some of the other performers act, and I remember one of the guys, Mike. He did this incredible manipulation act and birds and all sorts of really cool stuff. And at the end of his routine, I think he had these giant reptiles and huge snakes that just came out of nowhere. I'm just like, whoa. And it was very flashy. A lot of, a lot of flames and flash paper and all that cool stuff. And I'm just like, I was blown away. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm not, I'm not winning this. <laughs> and, and I did. And I was very humbled by it. But it really, it was a confidence builder for me. It really, it really let me know that I was on the right track and that I could, I could do this. 
And it, it gave me that boost to, as you said, a boost to double down and work harder and keep pushing. You didn't neglect your studies either because you received a degree in performing arts and communication at Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So it's not as if you went from high school and then became a magician. You also went to college and then became a magician. That's right. I had an opportunity after I won Abbott's, I had an opportunity to join a show that was being put together that was going to tour and it was more of an ensemble style show. So I would have had my 15, 20 minute portion of that show. And at the time, I mean, when your dream has always been to become a professional magician and you're looking at the opportunity, it had my full attention. It had my full attention. But at the same time, I had scholarship opportunities at a couple universities that I applied to, Carthage being one of them. And I remember reaching out to somebody who I met in passing at Magic Incorporated, who had seen his name and all the TV credits for Doug Henning and David Copperfield and Lance Burton. His name is Jim Steinmeier, a huge magic creator and historian with magic. And I remember reaching out to Jim and having a conversation. And he told me, he said, there's, there's no substitute for education. And your education is something that nobody can ever take away. Good advice. And that, that advice really changed it for me. While you were going for your degree, were you still performing magic for small audiences just to earn a little bit of an income? I was. So that was one of the big reasons why I stayed with Carthage. Carthage is in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So it was local to the area that I was born and raised in. And I had already started developing a following initially starting with school assembly magic shows and then doing birthday parties and blue and gold banquets. And then that spanned into doing work for corporations, for company Christmas parties and that sort of thing. So I was already starting to gain traction on that side of the thing. And I didn't want to go somewhere and go away to college and have to start that all over again. So I would go to school Monday through Friday and then on the weekends, I would perform magic shows as much as I possibly could. I think they call that a well-balanced life. Some would say that. I, I remember getting out of school. I'd get out of class at like 3.30 and go work on magic and be at the shop with my dad. And he's a, my dad was an HVAC worker by trade, but he was really good with fabricating using sheet metal and aluminum. And then my, my grandpa had a wood shop at his house. So we would buy blueprints and stuff and just spend the evenings dreaming up something new and always reinvesting. I make some money from doing birthday parties on the weekend and go buy some sheets of plywood. Nowadays, I probably couldn't get one sheet of plywood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, your dad was influential, it sounds like, in your life in terms of just helping you along. Absolutely. He still is. And your grandparents, too, because they got you the magic set initially. Yeah, my grandparents, my dad... My dad, my dad's my secret weapon. I, I, I tell people that all the time. Like the fact that I have that man in my corner and his skills and his, um, unwavering love and commitment <laughs> for, uh, what it is that I do. I mean, there's so much that we have and uh, that we're working on that it, it wouldn't be possible without him. We, I, I actually was at the shop with him today prior to, prior to having this call with you and, uh, we have a piece we've been working on about 18 plus months and we still don't have it right yet, but we're getting closer and we're still smiling. <laughs> some, days, some days you're not, but I'm like, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. 
the I have to test your memory one more time, then I want to talk about your upcoming appearance here in Las Vegas. And that is, okay, here's the memory challenge. Okay, you, you, I'm, ready, I'm ready. Yeah, you remember the name of the magic, your first magic set that you got from your grandparents, or your grandfather mm-hmm. particularly. Can you remember some of the illusions that were within the box? Oh, I can remember them all. Just give us a we couple. The, I want to uh, test your memory here. Just give us about two or three. A couple of them. So cups and balls. Of course. Classic. Anti-gravity vase, which never... Now looking back, I'm like, how does that make any sense? It's that plastic vase where you put the rope in, mm-hmm. and then you pull the rope, and then the vase doesn't fall. <laughs> <laughs> and I look at that now going, where's the magic of that? Like, the rope's just jammed in the top of it. <laughs> I thought the vase was supposed to float or something. I'm like, okay. Uh, and then rice bowls. Rice bowls. I haven't heard that one in a long time. Yes, rice, rice bowls. Rice bowls. And I could never get, and it was a plastic set. You know, it's a beginner magic set. There's nothing brass in this. Yeah, thing. no brass going on. Right. No brass, all plastic. And then I could never get that the gimmick to seal properly on the bowl. So every time I'd try it, there would be rice all <laughs> over the floor, and then followed by a big wave of water. And I'm just like, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not destined to do the classic. <laughs> Did you get one of those egg cups that you, you have the ball inside? Is it, it looks like an egg cup and oh, it's that the ball red and thing. Vase? Yeah, it has it's like a red vase or vase and you yeah. open up the top and there's a ball and you make things There's a ball and then you put it in your pocket and it jumps yeah. back in there. Yeah. Yeah, it had one of those and then I remember going to the magic shop and they actually had one instead of a little ball. It was larger and it used an egg. Yes. And it was called the egg base. And I thought I was moving up in the world when I went from the little ball base <laughs> to the egg base because all my classmates could see the egg versus trying to look at that little ball. <laughs> okay, one last quick question. Was was there a was there a scarf in there? There like, was a scarf and yeah. some uh, rubber body parts. Okay, fair enough. All right. <laughs> you've been tu- you've been touring for years. Why is this the first time you're coming to Las Vegas? You know, it's the first opportunity uh, that that's presented itself to us. So it was um, Vegas wasn't a place that I would say I ever aggressively seeked out because of the type of magic that we do. Our our show is it, I don't have a female assistant in the show, and a lot of stereo the stereotype on magic in Vegas, or it used to be. And I think a lot of people, if you stop somebody on the street and said describe a magic show to me. They're going to say it's a magician with a top hat and birds and a girl that he puts in a box and cuts her in half. Like we all know what that stereotype is. And a cane. And a cane. And our show is not that our show isn't. It's not just flash, flash, magic trick, magic trick, magic trick, magic trick, trick after trick after trick. And then thank you for coming. As the show's evolved over the years, and it took on more of a combination of, I would say, a good Broadway production in terms of a narrative and a plot with magic weaved in and taking the audience on this journey. I don't know. I just, Vegas was never on my radar, I guess. And then an opportunity presented itself with South Point. And as we had some more conversations, really learning that it's a it's a really well-known destination for the locals to come for their entertainment as opposed to just the tourist type of traffic. That's really what got my attention. 
And I think too, you sound, and I may, I mean this in the best way, so you'll understand what I'm saying. You you come from a, a Midwest sensibility, and I think yeah. you're looking at Vegas as kind of a flashy, glamour, showy, and you couldn't see how you would fit in. But your point was well taken that the South Point is designed for locals, and it's it's very uh, lo- not low key, but what's the word? Very much down to earth. And sure. So that yep. does does that does fit in with your sensibility, and now it makes sense why you're. Th- I have a feeling you're going to be returning once you get through this first engagement. I hope so. The I, I'm working with a promoter that we have worked with in the past, and we did some tour dates with them in Florida. And I remember her telling me, she's like, "I need to get you into Vegas. They would love you at South Point." And I was like, Vegas? I don't know. I don't know that our show is right for Vegas. Like I would tell her that. <laughs> and after we did the dates with her in Florida, she's like, no, they would absolutely love you. I need to get you in there. And the more I learned about the, the venue and, and that sort of thing, as we just talked about, I was really intrigued. And I said, you know what? That sounds like a, I guess I just didn't want to be, you know, my bald head and flashing lights on something on the strip when people are going down and part of the the mayhem of the, Hey, look over here, buy a ticket to this. I had a anxiety or nerves towards something like that. So this opportunity really fits into the wheelhouse and I, I feel really good about it inside. Do you find when you plan your tours that certain cities or towns you come back to the next year or the year after that? We do. We typically for our tour dates, we typically return within twenty-four, thirty-six months gets a little bit long. Uh, but in order from in order for us to return to a city, I'm a big one on the show needs to evolve and change, and that gets it, it gets extremely difficult, especially with the amount of time it takes to develop material, as well as consistently changing. I mean, once you get into a nice rhythm with the show and you're running, the last thing you want to do is keep changing up. It'd be it'd be like Hamilton going on tour and then the next year trying to write a bunch of different songs that change the plot. It, it's a lot of work. It is. And plus you have that equipment still sitting in your dad's shop waiting to be finished. Right. Right. And so, I mean, we're always working to update the show and make it fresh. And then when it gets to a point where I feel that we're bringing something new to venues and markets that we've been to before, then I'm comfortable in going back. And that usually runs on a 24 to 36 month cycle. I'm going to take a stab at this, but I think that because it's your first Las Vegas appearance, your dad's going to be out here for it. He might be. He might be. Uh, my mom is battling some health issues currently, which is might prevent them from traveling and coming out to the show. Uh, originally, we were supposed to be out there last year, and they had tickets, and they were all set to come out for that. So I know if they're not able to make it, he'll, he'll be calling me after every single show going, how'd it go? What did people say? <laughs> how was the audience's reaction? Did you get any video? Do you got anything you can send me? I'm like, well, I can't send it to you, Dad, because you still have a flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he'll eventually come out, if you, especially when you're returning. Is it hard to balance touring and family? That's a really great question and topic. And the answer is 100% yes. And fortunately for me, I was able to... I would call it rebalance slash find that balance about three years ago. I've been married. This will be my 11th anniversary this September. And my wife and I welcomed our first child in January of 2020. And they say when you have kids, a lot changes. And that's for sure. 
It does. Uh, but it changed for me beforehand because I was so focused so much all the time on, okay, what are we working on next? And how do we, how do we grow from here? And where do we want to tour to? And what you're, you're always working towards that next, that next pinnacle that you're, you're, you're uh, mentally trying to achieve. And sometimes it's easy in the mix of traveling and doing the grind, so to speak, to get lost in that sauce, I guess would be the best way to put it. And I found myself kind of getting lost in that sauce to the point where I'd be on tour for three, four weeks and not think anything of it because I was failing to consider like, okay, my wife's at home, kind of just hanging out, waiting for me to show up, but I'm on the hustle and move. And it's, it's different. And uh, I would say finding that new balance has been, it's been a blessing and it's uh it takes a lot of mental discipline to do. Yeah. What I've learned through it all is, is ma- magician and magic is what I do, but it's not who I am. I'm a son, a brother, a father and a husband. And that's, that's most important first and foremost. So it, Changed for you three years ago, and without getting into too much of the personal aspect of it, something must have happened to kind of force you to, to to force you to rebalance yourself and your life. Yeah, I just I I found myself. Uh, fortunately, it was nothing major and tragic or anything of that nature. But I just I found myself being too busy for those little important things that I was always a part of. Like I was missing family events because I was on the road. I wasn't at family reunions. I wasn't at birthday parties. I I was very disconnected from a lot of the things that I've been connected to in the past to the point where I didn't even realize it. And kind of seeing that light was like, okay, wait a minute. You know, these are these are moments and times with people, and so you're never going to get that back. There always will be another show, right? And you can, so you don't have to take every opportunity that comes at you. And I, I think there for a while, I was just so hungry to make sure that we were on the right track. And I was judging my success by the number of shows that we do, which is the wrong barometer to have in terms of success. And that's another great thing that, uh, uh, another great lesson from Jim Steinmeier is success is the definition of success is defined by the person. And what you determine to be successful, it's not defined by other people, defined by you. Yes, pretty wise. So you went metaphorically from, again, plastic to brass. Exactly. I went from plastic to brass. And it was during that time that it, it, it kind of having that change of mindset and really stepping back and, and reappreciating the value of, of family and relationships and not that I lost it, but I just, I lost, I was so busy doing the grind and realizing that whole scope is, is really what allowed me to push and head onto this different trajectory with the show that we're finding really great success with because it's unique and different. And I always, I always tell people at the end of the day that there's no mistakes, like everything happens for a reason. And I, I think, you know, we're, we're on the path that we're on now because of the, the path that's been. So it's, it's great. Last question before I let you go. Your favorite illusion. That's a tough one because if I, the one that I would tell you, I'm not doing in Vegas. Because <laughs> 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 it's our first time at South Point and our, our stage is slightly different in terms of dimensions that we're used to. 
So I don't want to show up with a show and then all of a sudden go, oh, no, we can't do this. What are we going to do now? And it's a piece that's been out of the show for three years, but it's coming back in in the fall. So if we return to South Point, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely make it a point to have it. Uh, my favorite, I would say it's my hoverboard illusion. I came up with an idea in my dorm room my sophomore year. Uh, one of my one of my good friends in magic, uh, we lost him a few years ago, Don Wayne. He was a big magic creator. Created a lot of magic for David Copperfield for his TV specials. I remember Don telling me early on, he's like, Bill, you need a hit trick. Like a musician has a hit song. Like something that's unique to you that nobody else does that they've never seen before. And I was in my dorm room up late one night and I was watching Back to the Future and I watched Marty McFly get on the hoverboard and fly around the town. And I was like, you know what? If I could fly around the stage on a hoverboard, that would be cool. We worked on it for 12 years and it finally hit the stage at the Paramount Theater in Austin, Texas. And I hovered over a trap door that was cut in the floor by Houdini when he performed there in the early 1900s. And unfortunately, I tore a meniscus in my knee and had some tendon issues three years ago, which which mobility-wise prevented me from doing the illusion. And now it's coming back this fall better than ever. We've actually made some updates to it. It's going to be super cool, and I can't wait for people to see it. Second favorite, though, I would say is my glass box illusion, which I am bringing to Vegas. It's unique to our show. It's not in any other show. And... We'll, we'll close the show with it. I don't want to ruin the surprise, but it's, uh, it's the flash people are looking for. <laughs> well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been illusionist Bill Blagg, performing the magic of Bill Blagg live at the South Point Casino, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, July 30th through August 1st at 7.30. For ticket information, go to southpointcasino.com. And for everything about Bill Blagg, go to billblagg.com, and you can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Bill Black Magic. Bill, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ira. It's been a pleasure. You take care. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah,